This is Age of Treason Radio. On the White Network. Daddy always smiled, took me by the hand, saying someday you'll understand. Well, I'm here to tell you now that you're never mother's son. You better learn it fast, you better learn it young, cause someday it never comes. With your host, Tan Stoffel. Political fallacies. This is concerning the dishonest nature of contemporary political discourse, the poor reasoning that's behind many of the arguments in politics today and how they don't really stand up to scrutiny. The number one fallacy is the left-right divide. Now, the last time I talked about left and right as tendencies, uh, heritable uh, personality traits in whites and focused on just whites and how we have within ourselves this both tendencies, but that how they're used to divide us. And, and that's what I want to emphasize here is how the rhetoric of left and right or red versus blue, uh, Republican versus Democrat. And again, this is from a, an American point of view primarily, but how those Two false teams are used to divide and conquer whites, really, to, to distract our attention away from race and into these, direct it instead into these false identities. This left and right rhetoric you can see all around you. Uh, I don't want to project my own experience onto everyone, but uh, in my circle of friends and family, I see that the majority of them are tuned in to, despite my pleas that they not do this, it's, it's, uh, falls on deaf ears mostly, and, and they decide to tune in to the major media, and that's where they see these views propounded and reinforced, and they're presented as really the only two views, the only two legitimate views. Anything else is uh, too extreme and is beyond the pale. And so they end up choosing either a left or leftist uh, flavor of seeing things, and they uh, see the opposite side as these stupid, crazy, evil right-wingers, and the right-wingers adopt uh, the right-wing point of view, and uh, look at the other side as the stupid, crazy, evil leftists, liberals. And it's really a food fight. It's childish. It's uh, um, it's nonsensical. It's kabuki theater. It's political theater, Uh, the vast bulk of it, and finger-pointing, really. But it keeps people engaged, it keeps them angry, and it keeps them venting their anger, Uselessly, really, at people on the other side. And amongst white people, it's mostly pointing fingers at other white people. The white conservatives point at the white liberals and 
shout and, and vice versa. And as I say, this is really just to keep white people uh, distracted from the real identity that uh, that they should have and that they should be thinking in terms of, which is the racial racial identity. It doesn't have to be this way. Um, the the two tendencies in whites are deliberately set against each other. They're they're pulled apart. But they could just as easily uh, be put together and uh, be complementary to each other. And uh, as I discussed the last time, you know, you can see left and right as uh, a combination of movement and order, uh, an orderly movement toward a, a goal, toward the, the greater good. You could have a fusion between the egalitarian leftist, no man is an island type of attitude and the rightist hierarchical, we're not the same either. There's no contradiction between those two things. And certainly, um, well, let me say this, that egalitarianism is appropriate It and it's even um, it's more likely to work, and, and it is more appropriate when the group of people, the, the polity really, the, uh, the group of people in a single political organization trying to make political decisions about their common good, what is in their common good, what they should do, that egalitarianism is appropriate in that case and most likely to work, uh, especially when – that group is racially homogenous, has the same uh, thought patterns, the same personality traits, and are related to each other, care about each other more. Uh, but, you know, on the flip side, leadership in any group, even a homogenous egalitarian group, is necessary. And so the specialization and the uh, inequality in aptitudes and ability that comes from people specializing and leading naturally encourages hierarchy to develop anyway. So there is this sort of inbuilt tendency in both ways. They're both, they can both contribute. They're both necessary. And if this seems crazy, if this whole idea that, that the two could be fused or that they're complementary is crazy, I would just put it this way, that it's no more crazy, and it seems a lot less crazy to me, than the prevailing wisdom, or in wisdom, uh, unwisdom, of the, of the current regime. The, this balanced view that I'm discussing and describing, as opposed to the current elite's view, which is a contradiction, a blatant contradiction. It's, uh, that equality is our highest virtue and of the highest value. And at the same time, diversity is our greatest strength. You know, on the one hand, equality, noticing differences is wrong. We're all supposed to pretend that we're all equal, right? And at the same time, diversity or differences are good. 
So it's both at the same time. They're completely at odds. Equality and diversity are completely at odds with each other. But in reality anyway, and that's the point of this uh, podcast, this this uh, discussion here, is that those terms are lies <laughs> in the contemporary popular political discourse. Equality and diversity are both lies. They're both goals of the current regime, supposedly. But the equality is really an Orwellian type of equality in the sense, the animal farm sense, we're all equal, but the non-whites are more equal than whites. And the diversity has a similar racial meaning. That diversity just means less white. More diversity means less white. Now, related to this left-right fallacy is what we could call the 50-50 fallacy, this equal balance. In the United States, it's especially noticeable in presidential elections where it seems like every election, it comes down to uh, a 49-51 split or a 45-55 split, you know, something very, very close. There's rarely any landslides. It seems deliberately calculated that way. And uh, even when they call something a landslide, it's really just a slightly greater, it's a relative landslide. It's just slightly greater than the usual uh, pretty even match. And it's not so much because the uh, the two candidates have been that have been selected to be the candidates are equally matched. It's because of the uh, deliberate jockeying to keep them sort of balanced, to, to keep the polity split in two. And um, uh, almost the way, it's not a good analogy, but you know the way you'd yoke together two horses as a team. Um, bad analogy, forget that one. Anyway, the the fallacy here is that it's not really equally matched. It's um, concocted that way. It's it's made to look that way. But what you've really got is the left representing mostly the head, the the uh, nervous system, the, the the brain, if you will, will, and the right representing the body, the the mass of people that actually make the system work. The left has captured the institutions and controls the media megaphone in the schools. That's important, controls the government effectively. Um, now, there was an excellent comment by Armour in to, to my previous uh, installment. And he wrote, I think this is worth reading out for those of you who don't bother to read the comments. I'm going to read this aloud because it's worth emphasizing, and I agree with everything that he writes. We know that leftism is encouraged by school and the media, but it doesn't explain why now and then, he means in the past and today, we find a real hardcore leftist in our own families. Just like sometimes some parents are surprised to find that their newborn child is a redhead. So maybe the leftist mindset is partly in the genes. But I think that only a few people, that only few people are real leftists. In the population, there isn't a regular continuum from right to left with half the people on the right and half of them on the left. He's talking there, I think, about not so much a continuum as a, a distribution. It's, he's saying it's not an e- equal distribution, uh, a uniform distribution. 
It's lopsided. Uh, rather, I think most people are conservatives and a small minority is leftist, quote-unquote leftist, with a markedly different mindset. I think the real leftists are less than 10% of the population, but it is difficult to tell a natural-born leftist from someone who simply goes along with what the media preaches. I don't think that support for immigration can be in the genes of leftist people. There is no reason we cannot find leftists who want to defend the white lower class or who strongly disagree with the race replacement program. We need them on our side. That's uh, the, the fusion idea that I'm uh, propounding. A century ago, very few leftists would have agreed with our replacement with non-whites, but race replacement is now the main element in the Jewish political program, and the Jews are the backbone of the institutional left. Even though the leftists are a minority, it seems that everything in our public political life proceeds from the left. In fact, it is the Jewish media that gets to define everyone else on the political spectrum, so they classify anyone who stands against race replacement as right-wing, far-right, Nazi, racist, supremacist, evil. My own opinion is that the right is simply made of normal people with the most common mindset. Opposition to immigration isn't right-wing, it's a matter of common sense. Being called right-wing is like being called anti-Semite. It is like firemen being called anti-arsonist. Actually, the problem isn't anti-arsonism. Now, he had uh, quoted somebody else's comment on another blog, but uh, was actually taking issue with it, so that's why I didn't bother reading it. He says, uh, I disagree with that uh, comment on one point. The problem doesn't exactly come from the left. It comes from the Jewish-dominated far left. And in fact, the far left doesn't even belong to the left. The left is supposed to be kind, compassionate, and egalitarian, while the right is supposed to be pragmatic. But the, quote, far left, unquote, that controls the media isn't compassionate. The Jews don't care about equality. Their motivation is racial and anti-white. Just like right-wing voters, most people who vote for the left are ordinary, non-politicized, non-ideological people. I don't think that voting for the left is in their genes. And he made several great points there, and I'll comment on a few of the things that really stood out to me. First of all, he anticipated some of what I wanted to discuss uh, in this follow-up installment to the last one, because I real realized the last time I was talking about focusing on whites and, and uh, our natural tendencies, but there is this whole um, political mislabeling of things as left and right, and that it's uh, fundamentally dishonest in its nature, and to focus on that this time. So that's what I'm doing here. So basically, um, and another point that I'd like to agree with that he makes there, a sort of correction or corrective that he's uh, gently trying to uh, bring me back to the truth, is that to the extent that left and right is biological, it's at best a tendency, a preference, as I said the last time. I didn't say that it was everything that there is about left and right there, that it completely explains it, but just that it explains the tendency and the presence of, of these tendencies, as, as uh, Armour said, too, about, you know, that every so often there's a redhead born. It seems to be latent in the genes, um, these, these 
two tendencies. I would point out, in addition to what he said, that it's almost like a bell curve too. That that there are the uh, leftists that are, uh, you know, hyper anti-white or or have these destructive um, far left, what he calls far left tendencies in them, and at the same time, the racially aware, at least at this point in our history, all seem equally um, rare and. Um, Uh, that the the vast majority in the middle seem to not be of either type, really. Uh, another point, and that I, I I agreed to in the uh, the comments to that last installment, is that basically uh, I've made this point before too that ideology, especially bolstered by propaganda, by by having control of the media and pumping out your propaganda. It can overcome biological instinct. That's, I think, pretty clear that memes can trump genes. Um, and we're seeing that with, with whites who are uh, led to go against their uh, collective racial interests uh, by these poisonous ideas that they um, latch on to, and one of them being the, the false uh, political partisan uh, identity that they that they latch onto while they're abandoning their racial identity and their racial interests. The other important point that Armour makes and, and brings us back to here is the Jews and, and the important point not to forget the Jews, that the Jews are the ones driving this anti-white, pro-non-white agenda. It doesn't come out of nowhere and it's not coming from white people. It's not. It's certainly not coming from suicidal white people. If pe- if white people were suicidal, they would just be out to off themselves, and they would off themselves. They wouldn't be trying to destroy other white people. That's not suicide, and it's not simply due to a, a flaw in ourselves. We have flaws, but we also have competitors. We have. Uh, there are other organisms that exist that have their own best interests in mind, that have their own moral agency and act in their own interests, despite whatever we might say or do. And if especially uh, they're especially effective if we're we've become convinced not to say or do anything in our own interests and are instead serving their interests. So we can't forget about that other group and. Um, the Jews. Don't forget the Jews. It's the Jews, stupid. And that it's a it's a racial animosity there too. Uh, as I said, uh, memes trump genes, but that doesn't mean genes aren't important. And the important difference there, the the real source of the racial animosity, and that makes Jews the racial enemies of whites, is the genetic difference, um, compounded by the fact that they tell and teach their their children and their self-conception of themselves as a people is that they've been oppressed and victimized by white people for their whole history. And that really uh, fuels that racial animosity toward whites. Now, another fallacy here is in the use of the term far as a modifier for far left, far right. And now, I don't interpret um, Armour's a good example here. His use of far left is... Um, meant to clarify, meant to uh, uh, illustrate something, whereas most uses of the, of the term far 
actually there's a, a great asymmetry in it. It's in the media, the Jewish media, it's applied to the right. You often see far right, far right, far right. Very rarely do you see far left, at least in the United States, uh, used as a descriptor. But oftentimes in stories about Europe and, and the developments, the political developments in Europe, the nationalist, the rise of nationalist parties in Europe are described in American uh, news services to the extent that they, they even do report on them. They're described uh, pretty usually in using the word far right, using the term far right to describe them. And it just seems to mean nationalist. It's like a, um, a synonym for stupid, crazy, evil nationalists. Um, in a way, far left is code for Jews. And you see it used that way in reading these racialist or quasi-racialist uh, conservative, quote-unquote conservative, um, alt-right, uh, human biodiversity, uh, black-run America osphere, you know, the right-leaning, racial-leaning, white-leaning um, sphere, intellectual sphere, people discussing what's going on, tend to use that term far left as code for Jews in the same way that, say, international banker serves often as a code word for Jews. Uh and it's the flip side of the far right being used basically as code for anti-Jew. That when when the Jewish media uses the term far right, what they're really intimating is that these people could be bad for the Jews, that these people are anti-Jew. Um, commie is another, or communist is another, or Marxist is another uh, code word for Jews. Doesn't mean it's always, it always means Jews. It just means oftentimes people, writers, consciously or not, are basically describing things and attributing them to uh, commies or far left when it would be more appropriate, more accurate to describe it as uh, Jews that they're talking about. But uh, they don't want to go there for one reason or another. And on the flip side of that is racist and Nazi being used as not so subtle code words for whites that the Jews uh, we'll often use those terms, especially that a, a racist is a, a race aware white, somebody who a white who openly talks about race and favors their own race. Whereas Nazi is like a racist that is also aware of and talks about the Jews. But not always, not strictly. It's just it's a uh, tendency. An interesting uh, thought experiment is, um, and it's not even really a thought experiment. We saw it when Nelson Mandela died. Um, Nelson Mandela was basically an African nationalist, um, a black nationalist, and he's regarded as a hero by the leftist, liberal, and even conservatives in the United States, uh, treated him as if he was some sort of a hero. And he was a hero because he embodied this whole idea of Africans Africa for the Africans, right? That the, that the black majority in Africa, in every country in Africa, but especially in South Africa where Mandela was from, uh, should be running that country because they're the majority, which is the exact opposite of how uh, whites are regarded, where we're the majority. We're not supposed to uh, run things. We're supposed to defer to non-whites. And, you know, they give, I've talked about this before, the dishonest labeling of majority versus minority. And how it's it's actually the the real important divide is is racial, and uh, 
you never see Nelson Mandela identified as a far right figure, much less a right wing figure, even though he was essentially for his people. And when white people are for their people, they're automatically uh, right wing and far right. It's just another example of how the, the right left thing is really a white thing. It's used to divide whites. It's not used to label uh, non-whites in, in how, generally speaking, in, in how they're politically aligned. There was an article recently, I'll link in the uh, program post, uh, covering uh, Marine Le Pen and the developments in France that sort of illustrates this use of the, the term uh, far right. And they identify her and her party, uh, Front National, a nationalist party, but it's, it's really uh, moderated its message and its position, uh, as I understand it, over the last uh, a uh, few years, especially as Maureen Penn has come to lead it and uh, taken over the reins of leadership from her father. Uh, but the article wants to spell it out why they call the party far right and why, even though they're, they're somewhat moderate in their stance and have moderated their stance recently, that uh, it, it, how this is really just being sneaky on their part. And they, they specifically mention that the attempt was made to detoxify the Front National's image, and um, that voting for the party is regarded as taboo by many voters in light of her father's repeated convictions for Holocaust denial and inciting racial hatred. And the real crime there, of course, is the first one, the Holocaust denial, you know, um, challenging uh, the Jews and their narrative is uh, considered a mortal sin. And that's what really makes uh, Marine Le Pen, even though she hasn't done that, hasn't been convicted of it, uh, and is more moderate, at least publicly, on that, um, that's what makes her guilty and far right. And this leads into um, the post-racial fallacy. That the po- you know sometimes it's called post-white. Um, it's and you could think of it as post-racist. <laughs> uh, with racist meaning white, of course. It's a post-white uh, situation. The left-right divide is transforming more and more openly into white versus non-white, or I should say non-white versus white, because the non-whites are actively encouraged to identify as non-white and to actively target whites, blame whites, scapegoat whites, whereas whites are actively encouraged not to have any sort of racial identity, to run away from, from race, to run away from any sort of whiteness. The old methods and the old terminology, left and right, is no longer really necessary as white consciousness shrivels, as, as white numbers shrivel. And the, it's the Jewish media really harping on the new politics in these terms of dividing it into white and non-white and harping on white privilege. And it's funny that, you know, in some context who's white gee we don't know who can tell but when it comes to talking about white privilege when it comes to talking about how many white voters there are and when there's going to be a non-white majority in the country suddenly there's no question about who's white well there is a question of course about who's white and in their estimates about who's white and who isn't they're always including more people who aren't white middle easterners and so forth that um to make the white numbers look bigger than they really are things are worse i think even than the the Media reports make it as far as numbers go. They're hyping the racial divide to non-whites, and they're encouraging 
them to think racially, whereas they're encouraging whites not to. So it's a it's a racial divide. And there's a, a new story I'll link there, too. Um, it's actually a Gallup poll titled U.S. Whites More Solidly Republican in Recent Years. And this is an example of how they, they guilt trip whites, that the Republican Party is too white. And uh, this article is emblematic of that. And, um, you know, they're not the, – the the obvious thing that comes out of the graph and the poll results is that the non-whites vote overwhelmingly for one side, for the left, for the Democrats, whereas whites are pretty evenly split, although when you take into account that they're including a bunch of people who aren't white in that, it's it makes a little bit more sense. Whites vote mostly Republican. The Democrats openly pander to non-whites, openly talk in racial terms, and the Republicans are more and more openly pandering to them as well, leaving whites with no party, really, to vote for. Um, It's turning into a racial divide, more and more obvious, non-white versus white. 